Listen, our world has our faith on trial today. As Christians, we are on trial today. And what I mean is, when I look around, the, the beliefs we hold as Christians that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Bible is the Word of God, that the church is the people of God, uh, there's a full-on attack on that from the world today. And if, if you doubt that, just get on social media, just get on Netflix, just turn on the news, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And if you've been a Christian for any uh, amount of time, you've likely had your faith cost you something. I think about my dad. My dad has been a basketball coach for over 40 years. Okay, that's longer than David was king of Israel. That's a really long time. <laughs> and I know for certain that my dad, uh, his faith has cost him friendships and it's cost him other things when he stood up for what is right. And maybe you have stories like that. Well, another person who has a lot of stories like that is Paul. You know, Paul's faith cost him everything. Paul's faith cost him all of his rights. You know, in America, we love our rights. Paul's faith cost him all of his rights. It cost him his personal liberty. He was a prisoner. It cost him his reputation. It cost him his health. Paul was in prison as we look at Acts 25 this morning. But Paul wasn't willing to back off the claims he was making about Jesus. He was not willing. And it's important to understand that because as I wrestled with this text, preparing for this message, it became really clear what the Bible says about why this happens to us and about why the world attacks the Christian faith. And it's really simple. Jesus said it in John 15. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And the world hates you for this reason. Because we don't belong to the world. Jesus chose us out of the world. And Jesus also said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And so I don't want anyone in this room, when you go out of here, if your faith costs you something in this coming week, to have any... Um, disillusionment about why that's happening. It's not about you, and it's not about your name. It's about the name of Jesus. That is what the world attacks. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and why that is. But I have good news. There is hope. You know, Paul, so many of the encouraging words we read in Scripture were written by Paul from prison. Okay? Paul had lost everything for his faith. He's in prison and he's writing encouraging words to us. And why can he do that? Why does he have hope? Well, we're going to learn about that this morning. But first, let's bow our heads and pray over our scripture. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am totally inadequate apart from Christ to proclaim your word to your people. And I'm just asking, I'm begging you, Lord, to give me the right words this morning. Um, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here, that your Holy Spirit would encourage who needs to be encouraged that your Holy Spirit would convict of sin where that's needed, um, and that you would guide us into all the truth. And we thank you that um, we have the opportunity to worship you this morning. And we thank you so much for your word, which reveals who you are to us. And I just ask, Lord, that as when we leave here, that we would better understand your word and what it has to say in, in Acts 25. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 25. 
You'll notice uh, something new at Prairie Bible is we have Bibles under the seats. Yeah, amen. So on that Bible, it's going to be on page 1110. And I really want to encourage you, if you need a Bible at home, please keep that Bible as our gift to you. We want you to have it. Um, I'm going to be in the ESV, the the English Standard Version. And uh, this morning's message is titled, On Trial for Our Testimony. Paul was on trial for his testimony. Many times we find ourselves on trial for our testimony. And um, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It comes after the, the four Gospels. It's the story of the spread of the Gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And we're nearing the end of that study. And we find ourselves in a section of Acts that's heavily narrative. Okay, it's, it's just following Paul's life and talking about what's happening to him. And so in this section of Acts 22 through 28, Paul gives six defenses of his faith. And that word for defense is apologia. That's where we get the word apologetics. If you've heard of Christian apologetics, the defense of our faith. So Paul is practicing his apologetics at the end of Acts. And um, the first three times he gives a defense was in Jerusalem. And we talked about that. So Paul um, had given a defense of his faith three times in Jerusalem. All those had ended in riots. And then there was a plot on his life. And by the providence of God, in Acts 23, Paul was rescued by a Roman commander and sent to Caesarea. And Paul's going to give his next two defenses in Caesarea and then his final one in Rome in Acts 28. And I must confess to you that when I was studying this passage, when there's so much narrative, sometimes you can sit there and, and say, what am I supposed to say about this? But as I dug a little deeper and prayed over this, it became really clear that there's a pattern here. There is a pattern Um, in these defenses that Paul is giving, and we find that pattern in Luke chapter 21. And that's important to note, because the book of Acts was written um, by a physician named Luke, okay? Luke traveled with Paul, he likely cared for Paul's physical ailments, and Luke also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, wrote an account of the Acts of the Apostles, the birth of the early church, But that's not the only book that Luke wrote. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is the origin story, not story, the truth, the origin, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Luke wrote both of these, but interestingly, they're both addressed to the same person. Both begin with an address to a man named Theophilus. Okay, and that's why theologians refer to Luke and Acts as a two-part work sometimes. They call it one book, Luke-Acts. So we can get clues about Acts in the book of Luke. And in Luke 21, Jesus is talking to his followers about the last days. He's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, the destruction of the temple. And then he says this uh, to his followers about what to expect in the last days. And the last days simply means the time after Jesus Christ ascends to heaven. Okay? So Paul was living in the last days. We are still living in the last days. And here is what Jesus said And it gives us our pattern for what Paul is experiencing in these defenses of his faith. Luke 21, 12, and 13, Jesus says this, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And there I have the word bound. Uh, This is certainly true about Paul. He'd been beaten, he'd been persecuted, he'd been dragged out of synagogues, he'd been thrown in prison. He was bound for the name of the Lord. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. 
Paul's not only been bound, he's continually being brought before others, right? He's a prisoner at the end of Acts. He's being paraded around where he is doing this third thing that Jesus refers to. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Paul is being bound. He's a prisoner, uh, stripped of all of his rights. He's being brought before countless people, uh, the Jewish people. In our passage, in direct fulfillment of, of this passage, he's literally brought before a king by a governor, right? And that's exactly what Jesus said. And he's bearing witness. And what does that phrase, bearing witness, mean? Well, the word is martyrion. That's where we get the word martyr. And that's a radical form of bearing witness to Jesus, dying for your faith. But bearing witness to Jesus simply means sharing your testimony, right? It's when people see the way that you live and that you look a little bit different than the world and they ask you why that is, it's saying, let me tell you about why. Because of Jesus. That's what it means to bear witness. And that's what Paul is doing. And Paul's being given his opportunity to do this uh, through the providence of God, through Paul being a prisoner and so that is, this pattern can be seen continuously throughout the end of Acts. We'll see it over and over again. And as we come to Acts 25, um, Paul gives his fourth defense. Okay? In Acts 25, 1 through 12, um, there was a governor named Felix, and Felix had been replaced by a new governor named Festus. I don't know why all their names sound the same, but Festus is the new governor. And Festus goes and starts spending time with the Jewish people because that's the province he's going to rule over. He certainly wants to have favor with them. <clears throat> and as Festus is spending time with the Jewish people, the Jews see this as an opportunity to get to Paul. So in Acts 23, 40 Jews had hatched a plot against Paul's life. Paul had escaped. And Festus gets there. And the Jews ask Festus, to, to ask if Paul can be brought from Caesarea to Jerusalem to have his case tried in Jerusalem. And, and the Jews, they're planning to assassinate Paul on the way to Jerusalem. So, I mean, I just thought, you know, they must not have a very strong case against him because they want to kill him before his day in court. And so they want, they want Paul sent to Jerusalem. They're obviously not telling Festus about their plan. But Festus, by the providence of God, knows that there are Roman customs and that Paul is a Roman citizen and that he has every right to be tried in Caesarea. And so Festus makes a compromise and he says, listen, when I get back to Caesarea, I'll sit down on the tribunal seat. This was the ancient judgment seat. This is where legal cases were tried. And I'll have Paul, the bound prisoner, brought out and I, you need to bring your formal charges against him and Paul's going to bear witness about why he's a prisoner. And so this very thing happens. Festus goes back to Caesarea. He has Paul brought out. The Jews bring their formal charges against him. And to Festus' surprise, uh, not really to our surprise at this point in Acts, uh, they have no charge against Paul that can stick. And so Festus, seeking to do the Jews a favor, asks Paul if he's willing to be tried in Jerusalem. And Paul knows he has the right to be tried in Caesarea. So he says, no, I'm not going to Jerusalem. In fact, Paul does what Roman citizens had a basic right to do in Rome, and that's appeal their case to Caesar. And so Paul appeals his case to Caesar, and I think Festus at this point has no idea what to do. So he says, you've appealed to Caesar, I'll send you to Caesar, and probably wipes his hand, hands of this case, but he knows he needs a charge, because uh, he knows it's ridiculous to send somebody to Caesar without being able to articulate a charge against him. And so as we reach Acts 25, 13 through, through 19, 
there is a king named Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice, and they are visiting Festus. And Festus sees this as an opportunity to figure out why the Jews hate Paul so much. And why would he think Herod would have that that information? Well, this is the last of the Herods. There were about eight Herods. And King Herod Agrippa II is the son of King Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I was the Herod we see in Acts 12 who put uh, James, the brother of John, to death. Okay? So this is the last of the Herods. And the Herods had a good understanding of the Jewish way of life because they ruled the region for so long. So Festus is at a loss for words, and he's, he lays Paul's case uh, before Agrippa and Bernice, hoping that they can help him uh, find a charge against Paul, and he's recounting what just happened in 25, 1 through 12 with more detail. Okay? So we're caught up. We know what's going on. Good. So as we look at our passage uh, this morning, here's Festus speaking to Agrippa, okay? Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. He's bound. And when I was at Jerusalem... The chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. And that word is really important, opportunity. Opportunity to make his defense. We just talked about Luke 21.13 and what did Jesus say? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So by the providence of God, Jesus is working through the Roman customs that the accused have the right to meet their accusers in court to give Paul an opportunity to make his defense. Okay? Verse 17. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. Paul is bound, now he's brought out, right? When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. And this is important. You know what I see parallels here? I see parallels of Pilate and Jesus. Do you remember uh, Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate? And Pilate, he couldn't understand why the Jews hated Jesus. And in the same way, we see uh, Festus cannot figure out why the Jews want to kill Paul. Okay, so we see those parallels here. And verse 19 is the key verse. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. And at first glance, that might not seem very important. But I'm telling you, those last three words, Jesus is alive, are the most important. When I talked to you at the beginning of this message about um, the fact that the world hates us because of the name of Jesus, this is the testimony about Jesus that threatens everyone. Jesus is alive. And that is what Paul is bearing testimony to. 
That's why he's on trial. That's why he's been stripped of all of his rights. Because Paul will not let go his assertion that Jesus is alive. And then this leads to the question of why. Why would this bother people so much? Why did it bother the Jews so much? Why did it bother the Romans? Well, let me tell you why. The Jews had put Jesus to death, okay? And if Jesus is alive, that means he's the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, that threatens the Jews' whole religious system, their whole way of doing things. That puts the religious leaders on trial. For the Romans, the assertion that Jesus is Lord threatens everything for them. If Jesus is alive, he's been raised by God, he's really Lord. And that threatened the statement that the Romans made that Caesar is Lord. Okay? So they can't let this go. In our world today, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the assertion that Jesus is alive threatens everyone. You know, the assertion that Jesus is alive, that he's our Savior, you know what that means for us? That means we really are broken, and we really are sinners. In fact, we're such uh, bad sinners that, that God had to send his son to, to die on a cross for our sins. That's how serious it was. And if Jesus is Lord, that threatens our idea in our culture that we're the Lord of our life. I talk to a lot of people who, who've come to Christ and their testimony is when they got to a place of realizing that Jesus was the Lord of their life. I know for me, that took a while to, to absorb. It's not easy to, to, to realize that. But Jesus as Savior and Lord threatens everyone. Okay? And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are asked to give your testimony um, and you don't know what to say, just say those three words. Jesus is alive. That's our testimony. And there's more reasons that this, this phrase threatens people. You'll notice that the phrase that threatens people is actually our hope, by the way. You know, what's our hope as Christians? Jesus is alive. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is the hope of eternal life. This, it's like John said at the end of the Bible, Lord Jesus, come back. That's our hope as Christians, right? Because we've surrendered our lives. We've bowed to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But what that means for the world is a fearful expectation of wrath. Because if Jesus is alive, he's coming back. And he's coming back with a sword in his mouth. Revelation says that he has eyes like a flame of fire, hair white like wool, a face that shines as bright as the sun, feet burnished in bronze, and a voice with the roar of many waters. We serve a God of authority. Amen? And he's coming back with King of kings and Lord of lords stamped on his thigh to judge the world, to rescue us, to bring us into eternal life, but to judge the world. And that's a hard message. But that is why this assertion that Jesus is alive offends people. And that is why it's our hope. And that's why Paul is on trial. And so Paul is on trial as we look at Acts uh, 25 verse 23, Agrippa has asked now to hear the case about Paul. And again, in direct fulfillment of, of Luke 21, Paul is about to um, give a testimony before a governor and a king, right? Just like Jesus said. And it says this <clears throat> in verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. That word pomp, it occurs one time in your Bible. It just means... Well, I think you know what pomp means. It's like red carpets, you know. 
And they entered the audience hall. This is an auditorium. This would have been where many people could be seated. With the military tribunes, these would have been senior military officers that oversaw cohorts of 600 soldiers. So these are prominent uh, military officers and the prominent men of the city. So we have like a major scene of power here, right? We've got a king, we've got a governor, we've got tons of people, we've got prominent men of the city, we've got the top military officers. And I just find, I find this contrast really interesting. Because it says, then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Paul is, at this point in his life, a beat-up older man. He is um, a prisoner with no rights. Uh, Probably he's been so beat up physically, maybe he's wheeled in. And he's brought before all these powerful people in the world. And if you look at Acts 26, and we're going to talk about it, Paul goes on to give one of the most spectacular and breathtaking testimonies of Jesus Christ that you will ever read in Scripture. One of the best. So Paul has been bound, he's been brought before this scene, and he's going to bear witness, and his persecution is the reason that he has the platform. And so, I think this is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, that he has been made a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. You know what that means? That just means to everyone in heaven and on earth. Paul has been made a spectacle. But you want to know why Paul would not let go of the assertion that Jesus is alive? Because he wasn't focused on what it cost him. He was focused on what he gained by it. Okay? Did you hear that? Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions cannot be compared with the weight of glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. And Paul was looking up. He wasn't looking around. And you want to know who was made a spectacle to the glory of God on the greatest scale? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was falsely accused. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. He was spit on and beaten and mocked. He had a crown of thorns smashed onto his head. He was stripped naked and had a cross put on his back and was led up a mount called Calvary where he was nailed to that cross while people heaped scorn on him. And it said that while he despised the shame, yet for the hope set before him, he endured the cross. And today, God has exalted his name above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. And so, I don't care if you're a Christian that's bowed your knee here, or you're a person who wants nothing to do with Jesus, or you're a Muslim, or a Buddhist, or an atheist, you will say Jesus is Lord when he comes back. Because Jesus was made a spectacle to the glory of God the Father. And Paul is looking to that example. And we ought to be looking to that example. The message I want you to take home from this text is this. Rejoice when you are made a spectacle for the name of Jesus because your reward in heaven is great. And don't take my words for it. Take Jesus' words for it. In Luke 6, Jesus says this in Luke 6, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. 
So we follow in the example of Paul. We follow in the, well, we follow in the example of Jesus. Then we follow in the example of Paul. And I'm sure there are countless stories in here of people whose faith cost them something. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, hold on. Keep looking up. Endure. Knowing that you have far greater days ahead if you endure. Amen? There's one last thing I want to point out about this that I think has been so essential for me uh, to make sure that when I am enduring hardship for the name of Christ, um, I think this is important. And it's that we keep a vertical perspective. And here's what I mean. I mentioned to you that, that Paul was not looking around at his circumstances because his circumstances were pretty bleak. He was looking up. He, was, he constantly had a perspective about what God was doing. Not about what man was doing. And when you find yourself in difficult circumstances, it's easy to look around and, and, and to be discouraged by that, right? I mean, sometimes there's, it feels like there's no hope. But when you look up and you start seeing your circumstance through the eyes of God and you pray and you give it to God and you trust, um, then a far more hopeful perspective arises. And Paul talked about this um, these events of being a Roman prisoner, Paul talked about this, this very thing in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, Paul said this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. So Paul's in prison and he's saying, look, I'm bound, but the word of God isn't bound. I might be in prison, but the word of God is spreading. And now all the Roman uh, imperial guard, they know I've been falsely accused and they know I'm only in here for the name of Christ. So I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to leap for joy because I have a great reward in heaven. And now other Christians are doing the same. They're not as afraid as they used to be. And they're spreading the word of God uh, without fear. That was Paul's perspective when the world would look at Paul and say, this is a beat up uh, older guy who's in prison. Why, what's he so excited about? And may your joy and my joy in the midst of trials be a testimony to others as well. It's so easy to, um, I find this in myself, Sometimes when we're walking with Jesus and it's hard, we can think about returning to the things of the world or, or grasping at the things of the world, right? That could be money or status or acclaim or comfort. And I have found in my own life that these things, it's like reaching into the ocean and, and trying to grab water. And what happens inevitably is these things slip out of your hand. Life is so fleeting when if we just took a step back, Jesus wants to give us the whole ocean eternally. And so don't lose sight of your eternal uh, future. Remain in Christ. And uh, if you find yourself in, in that place this morning, if you're struggling with a trial, uh, if you're struggling to hold on, if you need prayer, uh, come see me uh, in, in the prayer room.